Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show broadcasting live from our uh, non-quarantined homes. I am your host, Bob Wallenspiel, hanging out with producer Randy Walker, guest this week, CEO of, uh, I don't even want to call you a marketing firm. We'll get into what you do, but the CEO of 24G, Scott Wemels. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Never been better. You can uh, find us online, itinthed.com, and do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Um, third Thursday, we had it last uh, last week over at the uh, Nancy Whiskey in Corktown. Great event. Again, people hanging out way too late. I found out afterwards I left at the proper time, um, but the event went way too long. But next, uh, next month, same thing. It'll be the third Thursday, 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock over at Nancy Whiskey's. Mark your calendars or follow us at meetup.com slash IT in the D for all the details. So diving in, first big news of the week, we had the Loki um, finale. And now, Scott, we're not going to give any spoilers up, and everybody else, we're not going to give any spoilers up because you said it's still on your list. Um, But all I got to say is they just threw a huge curveball into the MCU timeline. Yeah. where now it's like, okay, what's real and what's not? And is the new bad guy worse than Thanos? And I think he might be. Um, cause it, and then has everything been in an infinite loop? Uh, so like, there's a hundred questions coming out of this. And what movie? So the, the, the timeline's out. Is this all coming out in Doctor Strange for this movie? Or are they waiting till Thor? Uh, there are definitely ties to Doctor Strange in this. And there are ties to Ant-Man, the next Ant-Man. That's right. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that because of the uh, quantum realm and does yeah. that tie into this? And the yep. colors were the same when they were, when they were looping. So Scott, sorry to mean to bother you, but this has been uh, we've been <laughs> this has been like following this and and follow, getting through Bad Batch right now because Bad Batch is starting to get super juicy. Um, there's I think there's three episodes left and there, there's some bombs yeah. to drop and tons of questions to be answered. So I'm uh, completely looking forward to uh, to that. I like how Bad Batch is starting to fill in the gaps and tie things together that didn't seem related earlier in the franchise. Right. No, and they're doing like side quests now. Yeah, they're they're, they're getting smart. I'm I'm totally looking forward to the last three four episodes. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, Scott, you uh, Randy gave his little uh, uh review of Black Widow last week. I know you saw it. You caught it with your daughters. Is it uh cooler to see get your daughters feel of what you know uh, Black Widow is, or do you do you enjoy it too, or is it a little bit of both? I don't know. I've always been a fan of the ass kicking female superhero, but getting to see it through my daughter's eyes is pretty great. You know, they, they're they're totally into it, especially my, my youngest Daphne. She's a she's a solid fan. So uh, I don't know. I the, the one thing I, I was bummed that she didn't like. I saw it long kiss. Good night. Totally not a Marvel franchise. I don't know if you ever saw it. Right, right. Great. That's a good one. Uh, she wasn't into that one, though. She likes the, the, the comic books better. No, it's fair. Like I tried to get my, uh, I got. You know, we were talking. I got three daughters myself, and I was trying to get them to watch Wonder Woman eighty four, and it was like, uh, yeah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> what? Sit down with Pop, watch it. Nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, which had nothing to do with the eighties, by the way, which we crap about all the time. But you know, it was uh, still a cool movie. Did you that see Black just- Widow? Oh, I was gonna say, did you see Black Widow at the theater, or did you rent it on Disney Premiere? We were going to go to theater, and then I, I saw it was on Disney Premiere, and I just got lazy. I really do want to support the theaters, but they've got to get some content out there. It is just junk right now. There's just not much out. 
Well, if you noticed on Netflix lately, every other movie is like subtitled either from Poland or from Spain or from, you know, and you're like, so we're looking at the previews now going, is it, is it read or is it subtitled or is it the actual movie? And if it's, you know, it looks cool, but I'm not watching it because I can't stand it when their mouths don't match. Um, <laughs> we tried to watch one series and it was literally because the, then they hire the bad actors. So, you know, it's not the person's voice. That's coming out of it. It's just some mundane actor trying to, you know, be them. And it just oh, yeah, yeah. It never, never works out. So I got to dive into this because uh, hands down, I've been, I, I put this on LinkedIn. So you know what I'm going to say right now? I've been to offices all over the world. I've been to offices in Tokyo, I've been to offices in Germany. I've been to offices, Silicon Valley, all over the country, um, Cisco, Microsoft. And then hands down, you have, the coolest office I've ever been to, like literally in my entire career. Thanks. That was quite the undertaking. I, you know, I, 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 my, my business partner jokes that I tend to get, uh, have a few drinks at night and then go online and, and buy things at auction. So right. <laughs> that one I found, I was like, guys, ah, this is, this is what we need. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, we, we took a, uh, one of the old mega lanes in Michigan, which Michigan and Ohio and Indiana are known for them. Uh, There's two syndicated bowling shows on national TV, and one was filmed at this place. They went bankrupt. We we bought it, gutted all but 10 lanes. There were 44 lanes originally turned that into our office space. So it's pretty good well, for employment. You actually kept the, the front desk. You kept the bar to the left. You kept the shoes, the bowling balls, like – you didn't just keep 10 lanes. Like you kept kind of a part of this place. I'm a massive hoarder. So we kept everything. Yes. So, but uh, oh. yeah, we, we, we kept all the bowling lanes, uh, made the desks out of them, kept all the balls. In fact, we kept 44 lanes worth of, of bowling crap. So we had all the bowling balls, all the shoes. Um, and uh, we didn't know what we are going to do with them. But actually in the last Transformers movie before Bumblebee, they used all of our stuff for their post-apocalyptic fight scene uh, at a bowling alley. So our, 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 our shoes and old pins are famous, I guess. What scene was that? So it was the Transformers uh, before Bumblebee. Uh, and there's a scene uh, where they get a Royal Rumble at, Rumble at a bowling alley. Uh, and they shot at a different bowling alley than ours, but they used all our gear because it was all beat up and we didn't care what happened to it. So they, they literally rented almost a, a half a store container of just crap. And they threw it all over the parking lot for the fight scene. And it's uh, our pins and our balls and our shoes are all over in that, that scene. That's hysterical. One of the, oh, go ahead, Randy. You're on mute, bud. That was the last night, right? Yes. Yep. Too bad your stuff couldn't have been in a, a little bit better of a movie. At least it made the cut. I felt like that was yeah. I, fair I enough. When they when, when they when they brought it back, I felt like I, I could finally part with it because that stuff had like you know it had done something beyond just being thrown in the dumpster. So uh, did you did you see that one, Bob? That was the uh, 2017 one. It had probably, Merlin. And I don't. I've stuff. seen all was, of them. It was horrible. After the first one, where they said "shush," the parents are around, and they like here's these alien giant <laughs> robots, and they're like ducking <laughs> behind the the bushes. Um, like I, I, I threw the whole thing away at that point. Um, I, how'd you learn how to speak English on eBay or whatever the heck he said? And I'm just like, come on. Or no, he found the glasses on eBay, but he learned to speak English. I forget, like yeah. on YouTube or something. It was complete trash. 
They got too kitschy. I mean, you needed like a Michael Mann directing that is what you needed. Something like that, you know? Right, right. Or action. Yeah, like just it was too. Uh, if you're aliens and this is land is foreign, like just the, what they did was completely <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but I digress. I know the movie's made for eight year olds, and I'm looking, looking way into it. Um, when I met you the first time, my favorite conversation you, we, me, and you share something in common that uh, is our, our, our absolute love for the old Detroit BBS scene. Yes, and yes. I love waxing poetic on. Now, what did you like? I was a CNET through and through because I was a Commodore sixty four kid with a three hundred baud modem. Um, now, where did you, uh, I guess, find your love for it? Did, did your dad turn you onto it? Did your buddies? And then, yeah. So my dad, when I was probably nine, yeah, he was part of the IBM program for GM, where they got a, a, a huge discount on 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 the XTs, the IBM XTs. So it was, uh, I think, he bought it for nine thousand dollars. So it was a real deal. Um, and, and and so over time, between ten and say when I became sixth, seventh grade, you know they'd abandoned that for better computers. So we we took it apart and started learning about the BBSs. I you know I started off by using the modems to to go to Van Hoosen and and, and log into their computers because the the secretary had everything right there posted in the attendance office, so you could just dial in and there was no real <laughs> passwords like one two three four. So right. got into it that way, and then we then we discovered Telegard and started making our own BBS. And that was that was it. We were hooked, you know. Um, by the time we were seventh grade uh, or eighth grade, uh, we had five lines coming to the house, so we could have a pretty substantial chat room. So for any of those people out there, we were the Billionaires Boys Club, and then we switched over to Mass Enterprise because apparently there was a National Billionaires Boys Club, and they uh, found out about us, so <laughs> they wanted the name. Which right. now that I look back, I think about how small it is. Does that really freaking matter? You know, did you have to harass the seventh grade right. about the name of their BBS? So yeah, the thing was, you didn't know if it was a forty-year-old man or a eight, you know, ten-year-old. So it's kind of like you know. No, I'm actually in Lake Orion right now, and I can't believe you know the Dragons Den. I love the Dragons Den. That was probably one of my favorite BBSs back in the day. Yogi's so, Cave was mine. Yogi's, yeah, yeah. So interesting story about that is so we're it was I think we were three one three at the time moved to five eight six. I grew up in Warren, and yep. Yogi's was Royal Oak based two four eight, and my buddy at his house had an Apple two C and had a uh, basically like a script kitty to write to get free codes from AT and T, and we let it run all night, got all the codes. I started using them so I could get to Yogi's Cave for free. And then the bill came about nine months later for about fifteen hundred bucks, <laughs> and the modem went into the garbage very quickly. Um, <laughs> my dad, I, if he would have, I mean, he's never hit me in his life, but I swore he was going to hit me that day. Um, oh. But yeah, oh that, that I took almost a year off from being on a PC because of that. Um, yeah, we were into the Sierra Nevada game, so we had a pretty big download section of like broken wares, you know, the, you right. Know, the, the, they, a lot of them came with from a Canada. Z. Yeah, it's always exactly. with a Z. The Z, exactly. That makes it cool or something. I'm not sure what right. that is. But right. the free codes, yeah, using those. Figured out we had we had the, it was like I think it was called like the Terrace Cookbook or whatever. It had like how to build your own you know device to to call in using the pay phones, uh, all that good stuff. How to make smoke bombs. Um, what was your uh, what bod modem do you have? Were you at a uh, 9600 or do you still? Uh... Oh. Oh yeah, we were at the end. We were ninety six hundred. We uh, we we made it all the way that far. We we started three hundred baud, you know, and went yeah. up. So so if you're not familiar, more, more if anybody's yeah, if anybody's not familiar with three hundred baud looks like, imagine just plain text, 
and just like basically going tick 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 about as fast as a little bit slower than what you can read line by line <laughs> for the entire like it would take probably 10 15 minutes for the screen to load um whatever it is that you were doing um and you were lucky enough just to get into one of the smaller boards to just to, like the war board to like have a fight with someone that you could finish the argument in like three days later um no, and remember trying to you could type out type the three hundred baud, and then it'd be like you know the forty hundred. So it was always about how fast you could type, and if you could type faster, then it would load. Right, that right. was kind of the, the game you would play. Well, oh. it was the Commodore had like inch and a half high keys, so it was just this, this <laughs> exercise in futility trying to trying to type something out. But no, those were uh, those were great times. I, I, you know, the waking up at five thirty in the morning and for the entire summer just so I could get onto one of the boards because it was busy all day. Um, and then going. And then going back to sleep, you know, there's just, there's some. Uh, I don't say there's a charm to it because I think uh, one person at a time going to Google would uh, would would suck. Put it that way. <laughs> I haven't heard a reference to the anarchist cookbook in quite some time. That it was the anarchist cookbook. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we we lived on on that thing for for like a summer and a half, just doing nothing but whatever was in there. I remember went to Lytle Drugs in downtown Rochester at one point to buy stump remover and we bought an order and they sold it at Lytle for some reason and the pharmacist stopped us halfway through the transaction like you boys are making bombs <laughs> <laughs> we we ran out of there as quickly as we could we were actually making smoke bombs but they they yeah, they, they knew so we went down street to the, the seed store and they sold it to us instead the worst so, one we did was the uh fago the glass liter and a half bottles you remember those oh yeah look so we uh we did the tin foil balls and I think yeah. we did the, I think it was Drano, Drano and water. Yeah. And then we sealed it and we put it in the parking lot at the intermediate school by my buddy's house. And um, nothing happened. Cause I don't, we were, I think we we're too chicken shit to tighten it up all the way. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, taking a huge step back when I first introduced you, I said, you know, with 24 gene, I, I hate to call you a marketing agency. Cause when you look at what you do, it's unlike anything I've been in contact with or anybody that I've ever dealt with. Like starting, like what you call yourselves a digital agency? Like, what do you when you when you're introducing yourself to people? What do you call yourself? Well, the new brand is called Digital Transformation Agency. But essentially, what we are is I, I used to work for uh, different uh, marketing and ad uh, agencies in town, and and I used to work in Australia as well. And what I saw was that there was a a real um, a, a real slow transition to realizing that you had to be digital first. So uh, I, I, I quit and I started a software development company. Uh, so at our core, we, are, we develop software, but we've now added a layer of marketing training and communications around that. So we go to market within those different, um, within those different market verticals. Uh, but there's always some sort of angle that comes back to us building uh, our own custom software to service the market in a way that doesn't get serviced because, you know, the rest of the agencies are going to off-the-shelf products. So, you know, we, we really were we're part brand focused uh, being that we work directly with brands in part, we work for agencies as well. We're not too picky. Um, but really at the end of the day, we're, we're our core is developing solutions for customers within those three verticals. Um, and, and, and we got into it right at the right time. So we were the first job we sold was a general motors and it was a blackberry solution for their executives. So we had to run our own bed server. So we had a colo somewhere. We were always running Ann Arbor and worried about the you know thing crapping out and, having all the redundant drives. And then that was when VMware just hit the market. And then that was just a game changer for us because then, you know, you could, you could run on multiple machines 
you know, with the with the virtual instance. And then that allowed us to really just focus more on the front end solutions than the uh, the back end heavy metal, uh, which is still a lot of companies are struggling with. Right. They, the, the infrastructure of their own you know, legacy metal is, is really getting the way of their solutions that they could create. Still, still all day. Yeah. Um, so we had Greg Garrett on last week. That's how I got introduced to you. Oh yeah, uh, with CGS, and Great you know, I, I kind of poked fun at him. I said, you know, digital transformation. You know, like that—that's such a—I don't want to say it's an overused term right now, but like everyone seems to have a different definition of it. I'm just curious. You know, I know what his definition of it. What what what's yours? So if, yes, it is. It's like everybody's saying events are going hybrid right now. No one knows what it <laughs> means, but it, but it sells to customers with money. That's really what it breaks down to. But, you know, the, the reality for us is the way I see it is um, it starts the conversation of the fact that, you know, you have to somehow get digital to the core of almost any business you're doing in order to to be, you know, to be competitive. And if you don't, your, your, comp- your competitor will. Um, so you can't really rest on your laurels the way that you used to. So for us, it's really going in and trying to figure out what it is is from a business solution side that we can provide the not getting um, through their traditional IT departments. And it's kind of an interesting situation for us because we're always caught between the business customer and IT. And I speak the language of both and I respect both uh, very, very much so. In fact, I always find the hardest part for IT is they've been they've been relegated to being digital janitors. And they're, they're so much more than that. But, but they can't be because their budgets are constantly getting cut. They're told that they can't, you know, ever perform. And so they're kind of relegated to this perfunctory role of, of maintaining legacy systems and and providing you know security where they can and it's it's because the business customer and them can't see eye to eye uh that they that they struggle with their transformation so where we try to come in is is to find that bridge between where it is and where the business customer where wants them to be and then give it some breathing room to focus on modernizing their system architecture but letting the business customer still uh be competitive in the marketplace by giving the new tools on our cloud platform until it is ready to take it over well, that's what, you know, when I was at HP back in like 05, 06, they were arguing that, you know, maintenance is 80% and innovation is 20%. And you were still talking to people today where they're still using the same number. Like it's never moved. That, 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 you know, that divide is still there where IT departments are just spending 80% of their resources keeping stuff up um, instead of just being asked to, you know, innovate and, and, and how do we do this better, faster, stronger, cheaper, you know, all those buzzwords. And, well, and innovate always. So that's the thing. So you're never left with a legacy system again, right? But that requires the business and the business customer to always be putting money back into IT, which is not something that they're necessarily always uh, keen to do. But that's mm-hmm. the reality. Like you need to see it, you know, the whole concept. That's the other buzzword, right? People are selling digital transformation, agile, um, hybrid. The, the, these are the words that, you know, it's, it's kind of like VR, AR. I used to have a creative director that says, if you said VR, AR, clients would shit money. <laughs> um, and and the reality is it's like there are great applications for all those things but it's a matter of is it the right application for whatever it is that you're doing and that's where we try to be we try to be honest most of our, most of our customers that we've made stay with us uh, because we're not just trying to sell them on whatever that buzzword is and then move on um, but I, I do feel for IT because anytime you're in there you, you know you hear the business customer just bashing them it's like those should be your best friends you know it's 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 
And I don't know how, but it, that, I think that's where, where, where Greg sometimes comes in is being able to, to heal those worlds of like, you're always going to be in disruption and trying to, to, to get those two worlds together. I mean, it really should be more of the model similar to where a lot large corporations have finance embedded in every department. I think they should do the same thing with IT. You should have an IT innovator embedded in every single department, listening to the business customer understanding and scoping their needs and then helping them constantly improve, implement, and innovate. Um, there's, there's very few organizations currently that run that way. Well, I think the BA is a very underutilized role in the business. It's only in software dev. It isn't if it, outside of that, which sometimes I feel it almost needs to be. Um, you know, I you know, I'm a people person, right? I sit between the business <laughs> and the, I, you know, I take the orders from yeah. the engineers to the customers. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so dive into AR real quick. Um, one of the I was watching the video that you did with Walmart. And I was kind of mind blown because I've been to a hundred of these events and they all kind of, they're all kind of dry and they're all the same. And six or seven years ago, we interviewed someone that had like an AR book and we thought they were going to seriously transform the way kids looked at books and it never really took off. And here you are doing a live event where it was absolutely gorgeous. Where, I guess, a, where does AR stand today? Did you think it was going to be farther along? And B, like, how did you pull that off without it not being not cheesy, but just like with it being cool? Because it was a very fine line when when people do AR. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about that one too is my, now uh, the people in my company are me. Apparently, that's XR, not AR. I, I didn't know there was an XR, but now there's an XR. What the hell's so, XR? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but but essentially well xr is is when you're you're doing it like i think for the stage shows where that was a stage show right so what we yeah. did was we developed uh camera technology so that the panning heads were tracking in real time to a unity engine so that when we were looking at the stage show we knew the mapping of the stage and everything else and so did those cameras so you could move those cameras in in you know real time and the images that were in unity would track with the with the actual images of the executive, in this case, Walmart on the stage. And so that when we flew that Wright Brothers plane over the audience, everything tracked perfectly. And that was like, it was two, it was a twofold, right? So on, if you were at the stadium, you would see it on the IMAG, the image magnification monitors on either side of the stage. If it was streaming live, it was very compelling because it was real time mixed augmented reality with an executive presentation. So you didn't have to sit there and watch it with your phone. It was immersed. No. It was it was immersed and, and people were watching the monitors and now where we're going is we got that same technology and we're using real inputs from people's phones so they can actually affect the visual three-dimensional graphics around the executives right so but that's kind of what we try to do we again we try to find these like small and that's not we're not going to be the company that just does that we are always looking for what the next technology is we have dedicated r d people that are looking from everything from architecture all the way to like physical and digital interactions. Uh, then we look to see how we can monetize it. Usually has a lifespan of about two to three years, and then we move on to the next technology. Where a lot of right. companies, they just get stuck, and that's all they would do. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I went to those once a quarter for, you know, working for the big box vendors, and it would be a PowerPoint slide, and then you'd go to the next guy, then you'd go to the next girl, and then you'd go to the next person, and PowerPoint, PowerPoint, PowerPoint. Look at this graph. And, and nothing, you know, and you just sit there, and you just, like, God, in one person would come up. One person would come up there and do like a cool demo or a live interaction WebEx or something. And they're like, "Wow, that was cool." Everything else, just like I remember nothing. How are we not past PowerPoint? I don't know. But uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned AR just in general. I'm excited about 
you know, getting more into web applications now with uh, AR, which is starting to become a thing. It still needs to process back in the cloud, but I think that's that's the next thing. When you can let people have browser-based AR experiences, so you're not having to download an app. I mean, obviously the apps are so much better because you can train the models and all that, but it's there's something to be said for being able to do the web application. I was really bummed when, um, did you see that in the new uh, the iOS, they're not going to let you have access to the gyroscope uh, for, for for the browsers? That's a step backwards, if you ask me. But see, um, I'm an Android guy, Randy. Oh, I love Android, but most people have iOS. Who's the me? Did they explain <laughs> why or any reference why the gyroscope? They said it was security based. I don't. I don't necessarily buy that because the, the the overall you know the overall trend for both Android and uh, and Apple has been uh, iOS has been to move towards more access to those uh, root level you know functions and and uh, you know. Uh, uh, sensors within the device, and now it seems like Apple's having a change of heart, which is a bummer. Um, Interesting. So, what's an AR on the web browser? What is that? What would that look like? Be well, it's similar. As- I mean, it gives you access to the camera, but it doesn't allow you to have access to the to, to, to the processor on the phone. So you can you can you can do some stuff, but it's it's it it needs to either be going feeding back to the cloud to process or processing within the browser uh, uh which doesn't necessarily go that it's not it's not seamless it's not as as, as nice as you know true ar and where you can use the lidar of the camera and things like that i mean that's that's going coming so far i mean it used to be a million bucks to get a license to do that now there's companies out there for seven grand a model they'll help you train your your models uh you know uh, both using uh cg uh, or using 3d models i should say and uh photography to train so you're talking uh, the app i mean in terms of application it'd be the, almost the same thing like a youtube stage show tatted ted talk that type of thing or, or was other applications for it i'm just trying to get my head wrapped around it these are more product interaction that where we're seeing a lot of that pickup is training think large box training think vehicles think washers you know anything anything that you can shoot realize what it is create a marker out of it then uh, provide additional data points around that by making it basically a glorified hotspot map, you know, but you can do it in a really, really sexy way. Right. So that, that's the engagement. And that used to be very limited. And now you can do that, in, you know, on, on both Android and iOS. Uh, and it's not too hard to get that, that off the ground. Like I said, there's third party integrations that you can use to, to train models, to get that where, like I said, that used to be a million dollar lift. And now it's, you know, you could probably make an app like that for 50 grand. See, Randy, so, uh, being a technical writer, you're getting outsourced by cool technology. So, yeah, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Which is fine because I, you know, I, but, I can't read your manuals either. I mean, there's there's a step between the technical. Here's what's possible, and you know, here's how to do exactly what you want to do. So, there's still some room for people like me. Yeah. Well, the, the, you need the healing between the two because the business customer needs someone that can actually tell them what's possible and then also understand how it can be applied. That's kind of where it gets yeah. interesting for us. That's where we spend a lot of time with our creatives, our team, making sure they spend a lot of time with the techs on the team because they need to actually understand how the application of a technology works. So they're not just pulling things out of their ass, but they they understand so that, you know, because what they promise and what they pitch and what they ideate with the customer will end up you know, with our devs, where a lot of times in agencies that idea we pitch and then we'll have to shop a dev shop to figure out how to do it. So we try to keep that more vertically integrated so that you have that, you know, those bridges, you know, uh, covered. 
um, from from uh, idea to sale. So with you guys kind of, you know, part of your business being, you know, the live event thing, how long did it take you guys to, and I'm not going to say pivot, but how long did it take you guys to transition to doing more uh, the online stuff and getting the celebrity chefs and the bartenders and kind of getting, you know, because I mean, it seemed like that became the norm for a while is, hey, you're invited to this thing, they're going to ship you a box and you're going to cook a salmon filet or whatever, with, <laughs> you know, with Guy Fieri, you know, like, I guess. Did you, uh, how far, or I guess how deep did you guys get in that and how long did it take you to transition into that? Well, so what we did was it, it, it was a pretty, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say seamless, but we went from live events and then all that, you know, being that we're working with a lot of agencies, they had to do the proverbial pivot. We're already their digital partner. Uh, we already had a virtual platform that was meant for live training. So we just retooled that and uh, turned it into a virtual events platform that was kind of gamified. So everything that you do within the platform gives you points. Those points can be redeemed for free stuff that you would have normally gotten for going for a conference that they would have just given you. So we were able to take that and and pivot, which is a horrible word, but we were able to <laughs> basically, the, the biggest problem though is because we didn't have really great requirements of how that was to be sold, our salespeople sold it 50 different ways. So in the end, you know, we were fulfilling some pretty large contracts with I'm not going to say it was vaporware, but it was definitely not as sound as the product that we originally imagined we were going to take to market because each customer had their own demand. I mean, but we got to do some really great projects. Like we did Fastly's uh, worldwide conference on that thing, which was was pretty cool. And just being to, to be a part of that and, and hear what's going on with Fastly was pretty slick. Um, who else did we do? Uh, we did Tupperware. That was a pretty interesting one. Like real innovation going on in the world of Tupperware these days. So I was going to say, uh, what's what's new there? <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the funny thing about Tupperware is they, they, uh, you know, that was like our third job with that new software that we we put out there. And uh, you have women over sixty five that all use the platform and it worked. So I felt like that was a testament that it worked. But uh, it's really all about the compression lock. You know, you push it down, the air comes out. It's it's high tech, I guess. So. Right. Noah, with the 65-year-old women, Noah, is, can someone mute your phone? Can someone mute your line, please? <laughs> you know, playing a conference called Bingo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, the one thing that – the two things. I actually – you know what I still have? I still use this. I took it from your office, the hipster, uh, the oh, hipster, the hipster laptop. laptop. Yeah, I saw <laughs> that. I'm like, I need to have one of those. Um, but when you were talking about the 10 lanes that you have, and you keep analytics on all your employees. Oh, yes. So you can predictively analyze or basically predict what their next ball is going to be. Then I was like, all right, I need to pay attention to these guys. Cause they're like, what, whatever prompted you to do that? And like, that, it seems wild to me. Anyway, being a bowler like, myself my whole life. Not in a creepy way. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> so, well, when we started the company, we were always um, big on R&D. So anytime we had time, uh, you know, in between jobs, rather than go to the bar, well, sometimes we'd go to the bar, but we would we would also just do jackass things with technology that would eventually we'd figure out how to monetize. So one of our earliest inventions, remember those old round webcams that like hooked up to a serial, you know? Absolutely. Board? We figured out that with uh, with um, it, to use it for object uh, recognition for tracking for image tracking and hooked it up to a uh, t-shirt cannon. So that it could track you and shoot T-shirts at you, totally useless. But eventually, the you know the the technology, what the scripts we wrote, we were able to apply for some event, right? 
Uh, so we've always done that. So the, the long and short of it is like the bowling alley just became like one big R and D project. So that, that bowling alley is running off our cloud software using raspberry Pis to close contact. So the whole entire thing is running on raspberry Pis and then feeding analytics up to our cloud software. And a few years ago, we had a big summer push towards, uh, trying to understand more, uh, AI. I think we're using TensorFlow for that, for that when we did it, which is Google's, um, machine learning. Uh, microservice you can use. So with that one, what we did was we started to, we have so many people to bowl all the time. We have good data. We have good data sets on consistent data sets. So we fed that up and the idea is like, okay, what are we going to do? It's going to be cool. So you know how like when you biff, it gives you the, the, the animated, you know, GIF or GIF, depending on how you want to say it, right? Wait, are you guys GIF or GIF? GIF. I need to know. GIF. GIF. I'm a GIF guy. Oh, Randy. Oh, wow. It's graphics. I don't care what the guy that invented it says. <laughs> I love it. So, so how do you pronounce the acronym uh, self-contained other underwater breathing acronym apparatus? <laughs> do, you, do you pronounce it? But it's not underwater. It's underwater. Or is this supposed to be scuba? <laughs> if you're following here. the rules for GIF. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Randy. Put it up. Go back on mute. <laughs> he, he came preloaded. Randy came preloaded with that one. That was. Uh, how dare you say it's GIF? I'm going to show you. <laughs> yeah, that's. So, so I'll go with Jeff because it's Bob's show. But uh, that, the, the, uh, you know how you 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 fail, and then it would show you, you know, somebody schlub falling off and yeah, yeah. made a pick. So what we did is we wrote a script that started looking at how the their average were and predicting when they would choke and showing them the animated uh, video of them failing before they would fail. So that was kind of our our summer project, uh, you know, for for AI. Actually, it was it was good for everybody who got behind it. We really learned quite a bit about you know uh using that microservice so it was helpful so how accurate is it like if we put you know, like if it says hey you're gonna get an eight in this frame are you guys running side bets and then <laughs> well it's now because of pandemic it's crap it's totally it's no it's no good but when it, when it was going it was decent it was at least but again i don't know i think you could have probably had a heckler up up you know that was meant because get, you get inside your own head right you don't want to be heckled sure. by a computer or a person, <laughs> so, right? So you're, right. You're looking. They're looking up at that, like wondering if it's going to show them the image of them, you know, failing with the dad that falls in, down the lane and you know, <laughs> the, right chasing the toddler. Or whatever, you know. So one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about or hit on was, you know, about five years ago or so, I got into the uh, another word I hate: big data. Just you know, it's data, but it's big. Um, was that the biggest consumer of big data was not it or anything else part of the business it was marketing um and so what i guess as far as you know what you guys are doing in that in that world in terms of like the predictive analytics i kind of wanted to transition that to business how are you are are you using that technology now for like you know because right now everyone you know here's what you're going to buy next and here where like how like last week we talked to Greg on like how far are companies going with this? Do they really need all this data and this predictive analytics? Well, I guess where are you guys going with this stuff and, and how far is it going to go? Well, it, you know, it's interesting. So I always thought we were into big data until we spun up our, our marketing services group who helps uh, customer customers sell more on commerce platforms. Uh, mm-hmm. okay, you know, so think Amazon, Walmart, uh, Target, Home Depot, et cetera. Uh, and, and the amount of data that they let you store, because what they do is they only give you like a 60-day window of, of data that, you know, from your campaigns that you can save. 
uh, and they give you spreadsheets to dump it into. So now that we've been running that business for years, we have so much keyword data about, you know, and, and now, you know, is it raining? Is it, uh, you know, is it, what, what season is it? Um, and it, it's amazing as you get that, how it starts to get to the point where you can't do anything with it if you don't have some sort of machine learning helping you along, right? Right. And that's, and that's the first time we ever got into real big data where it's just terabytes of information that you're transacting or bubbling up into higher level databases to, to do something with. Uh, and that's been really uh, quite a project, but you're right. It's all marketing, right? Cause it's in the end, it's trying to figure out how to sell more. So for us, it's, it's interesting to like the marketing services group, to some extent it's, you know, we have our, our technology, but it's also about how do you make your analysts more effective and efficient with their customers, right? So if you can develop a proprietary tool within certain markets uh, and then have those, you know, uh, create some systems and tools that allow them to be more efficient about recommending what they might be able to do and then letting that human do the last leg of interpretation, that's kind of where we fall with it. Uh, but it gets expensive really quick uh, in, in the cloud when you start doing that. And that's where I, I realized that it's just another place that Amazon's going to get you, right? Like the amount of, you know, the amount of uh, money you can spend uh, in the Amazon Web Services is incredible. You know, we went from twenty thousand dollars one year to I think we're about five hundred grand now in, in Amazon Web Services. Oh my year. god! So, but but it's sold into our solutions, right? So the solutions, yeah. it, it, because you know, that's the difference between us and other companies. Where I think they've maybe gone another route. Maybe they're spending the money on their project managers and hiring people in India and all that. We, you know, our our pricing has always been built into that, so it it accommodates it, but. You know, yeah. all my friends that I call addicted to heavy metal, you know, because they're uh, some of my buddies, they, they, they work for the, the, the healthcare systems and things like that, or the medical suppliers. And they're all they're all heavy metal, right? It's all servers and, you know, co-locations. Oh, I thought we were like, going to talk Iron Maiden for a minute. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I always <laughs> imagine. Like the, I give them all ACDC kind of, uh, right. for Christmas, right? But no, it's like they, they told me, like, it's going to get expensive, Scott. You just watch. And it, it did, you know. But it, like I said, it's built into our pricing model, so it, it works. Yeah, and I was, you know, I, I've been I've been on the infrastructure side my whole career, uh, living in data. You know, my first job was in a data center. But I've, you know, I've I've kind of got to the point where I'm, I'm a hybrid IT just purist where, you know, make put put what's right where it needs to be and leave it alone. Like there's certain things that yep. need to go in the cloud. There's certain things that need to sit on prem. There's certain things that need to be in colo and, and there's no really true mix. You know, there's no really true answer. Um, you know, and it kind of ties into, into marketing. And then one of the things I was thinking of when you're doing predictive analytics, it always sits in my head because it's what my first job out of in college was selling beer. And they were talking about the science and you wanted to be at eye level. You wanted to be on the handle because your chances of selling that six pack went up like 30% if you were on the handle versus inside eye level versus floor level. So like there's, I've always been infatuated with the, the science of commerce. Um, and, but sometimes at the end of the day, like, why did you pick the Chevy versus the Ford? And you're like, beats the shit out of me. I don't know. And it's gotta, <laughs> it's gotta drive marketers. Just It's gotta infuriate them because sometimes there just isn't, an exact science to why you buy what. Yeah, but it's gotten a lot better. And that's what that's why I, when we when we started our Amazon group, that was my big thing. I the, the, all the companies we started have been based on the fact of find the thing hard to do that no one's necessarily doing in that industry and then go after that and make a niche, right? You don't have to we're never going to be the, the necessarily the massive mega player, but find those niches. And in in marketing, what it is is so many of these other online marketers 
what they do is they have their black box technology, which is some combination of probably third-party softwares, their own hocus pocus, and their analysts. And so when the customer gets the bill at the end of the day, they might not know how much of their spend was actually spent on programmatic advertising and, you know, actually buying uh, keywords that help them uh, in optimizing the campaign and how much of that is actually being, you know, absorbed as margin for that, that marketer. What's nice about these captured marketing platforms is you can be real honest with the customer. This is how much I spent. This is how much time I spent. And this is the result, right? And so that's kind of how we approach it, where it's very transparent. And it, it goes against the grain of most marketers. They 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 like they love the black box of like, oh, we're doing this, you know, hocus pocus, and you don't know what it is. And because of that, you really don't know how much is being spent to you know to leverage the, you know buys online versus uh, you know going into their pockets. Yeah, and that's uh, through COVID. I'm starting to get packages trickling in that I bought during uh, during COVID. <laughs> um, and I'm not gonna lie, Facebook owns me. Like they they literally own me. Um, if you put out like a, anything Flash Gordon, if you put out anything like Natty Light t-shirts, I have a Natty Light captain's hat I just bought. It doesn't even fit my head, but I had to buy it anyway. Um, I get rando t-shirts, I swear, every two weeks that I'm like, that I see it. I'm like, I have to have it. If it says Caddyshack on it or if it's some stupid reference to an 80s movie, got to buy it. So it's like they probably literally, the, the analytics on me, you know, they literally own me they probably get a 40% hit rate on ads they put in front of me and it, like, yeah, I'll buy it. You know? Yeah. Face Facebook for me, they must think I'm Batman because everything is some sort of utility belt with a knife built into it. <laughs> I don't know what I search for when, but that's, that's all I get is, is, is that in like camping tents. I'm not sure where they, I'm not too outdoorsy, <laughs> but that that's now Amazon. On the other hand, Amazon's got me. They, they know everything I, I, I need and I buy it all. Well, it's it's gotten ridiculous. We were were we talking last week with Greg Randy, or was it a different conversation? Where oh, it was Greg. Where we were talking about buying like a little five dollar trinket, and they're like, "Do you want it tomorrow? Yeah, or do you want it just the normal two days?" And he like he just tested it out, and he got it at six in the morning the next day. He goes, "I didn't need it. I just wanted to see if it would work." Like <laughs> their 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 scale. It I, I don't even I didn't want to do the math because I'm a math nerd too, but like you know. Is Prime paying for because they ship anything and you're getting it next day? And I know they built how many warehouses. Say, hopefully, it's in a local warehouse and not something they flew from halfway around the world overnight. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, how many warehouses are around our house now? There's the Silverdome. There's you know half the Ford plants now are Amazon warehouses. There's Hazel um, Park. Yeah, Hazel Park, the racetrack. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, but like the fact that you're like, I don't really, but then, you know, here's the thing you get spoiled if you buy it not on Amazon and you don't get it in the two days. You're like, the hell's my whatever stupid Funko Pop Devo that I just got in the mail and I don't remember (laughs) buying that. Like, why isn't that here in the two days? Like they set this awful standard that other retailers have to follow. Anyway, I'm off. I'm just ranting. I'm. It's not a question. No, no, I I like that because that's exactly how it is. So I... I think it was like Zazzle or some site I've never been to before, but like I got my wife these um, these flip flops that are like she's Scottish, so they're her McLeod plaid Scottish, and it's in they're custom print, so someone has to like put the order in and print them on a thing. Right. right? Next time she has a beach vacation, I was going to surprise her for it, and so I put in the order, and they're like, uh, "It'll be there in two to three weeks." I'm like, two to three weeks? What is what is this?" You know, it's like 
Now, meanwhile, she doesn't have any sort of vacation coming up. It was like a, I'm pre-buying a present for later. So when I forget, I can give them to her, right? Like that's the, that was the, the thing. And I'm like, I, I can't believe how spoiled we are. Don't you remember the back of the magazines when you used to be like, wait for, I don't know, a year and a half for x-ray specs? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> oh, was it a year and a half? I know the, uh, I remember the brine shrimp. What the hell were those called? The sea, oh, the sea, sea monkeys. Sea monkeys, yeah. The sea monkeys. Those were such a ripoff. So disappointed. No trapeze. I bought the X-ray X-ray glasses. I couldn't see anything. Yeah, it was just the, uh, and we ordered all of it. The one thing, uh, my we were talking about my uh, when you had to buy five action figures and you had to cut out the UPCs and you mailed it in and then you got like the special figure. My buddy actually has his original Boba Fett, not oh, with the nice. not with the rocket because that thing's worth like four grand, but just like the, the UPC mail-in for it and he had it graded and he has it in a box. And I'm like, oh my god, that's you know. I, I remember getting Duke from GI Joe and the Emperor from Star Wars. I think those are the only two mail-in things. But you know, you do nowadays. You just you just buy it online. There's no uh, there's no waiting. There's no searching. There's no. There was a charm to it. I'm not gonna lie. Well, no, in in the back in the end, it was just words. So you had to guess what you're getting. Like I bought uh, for my mom this one time. I bought her a, a it was like two dollars a universal garment hanger. It could hold up to fifty pounds. When it came, like I don't know, months later, it was it was a nail, <laughs> a, na- a, nail in, a nail in an envelope. <laughs> oh, it's like uh, have you watched on YouTube the Wish dot com package openings? Oh no! Like there's one I saw. It was like a bunch of uh, uh, WWE wrestling like member like stuff, and it shows up, and it's just like garbage printed on like on like like a likeness of John Cena on like a paper bag. And it's like, called, they call it a mask. You know what I mean? Like it's this ridiculous, like 50 cent items. And it's like, he's looking at this going, this is, you know, I think is wish gone. Cause we used to get those, the ads all the time for like those crazy things that they would sell. And I haven't seen one in a long time. Oh, I wonder if it yes. still exists still around. It's really, there's like, yeah, all of a sudden you're scrolling Facebook and there's like this giant like butt plug plunger combo. And you're like, why are they targeting me with this? And it always freaked people out and screenshot and like, why, why me? You know, what, did you have my search history? You know, um, but yeah, I haven't seen a wish ad in a while. I wonder if they uh, stopped doing that or whatever. Um, all right, getting back serious stuff. I always like, uh, like what would like the most do you have a can, can you even pick out you don't have to call out the client but like the most fun project you've worked on or the coolest kind of result you've had like obviously you don't have to name them if you don't want to but i'm just kind of curious as to uh if you kept a you know is it a favorite child you can't really name it but is there a project that you're like oh my god this was so awesome because we did this or well, i mean i'm happy to name them i i I would say uh, the most fun uh, as far I would say client, not culture wise, but like because they challenge the hell out of you to do something new and like never been done before is Nike. Anytime mm-hmm. we get a Nike job, it, it, it's got to be because they're so competitive and uh, they're, they're all regionalized. So you can do like this amazing. We did this thing for this woman, the Women's World Cup. It was a video, a real time video game with tracking floor and graphics on the walls and videoed you and you'd share it. And uh, we couldn't even get another Nike region to buy it uh, from us because it's been done before. So I oh love my God. jobs because they're just always pushing you to the edge of what's possible. Um, and that that's fun. And it's Nike. It's it's kind of a compelling brand. So I would say Nike. And then uh, we've done quite a bit of work at, the, at some of the Google developers conferences for different um, uh, agencies over, over the years. And uh, – those are always cool because it's kind of the world of 
trying to uh, appeal and create like these physical digital displays that appeal to both developers and um, architects and things like that, and also a business buyer, right? Or, or IT executive, right? So the, the best, the coolest one that we ever got to work on was, uh, you know, the whack-a-mole game, like uh, sure. you know, whack-a-mole, right? Mm-hmm. So we worked with the Google Cloud Architects and it was all about how quickly you could, their, their pods regenerated online. So it's a pods like their server. You know? So it was called Whack-A-Pod. And if you type Whack-A-Pod, you can, you can see the video of it. But what it was is you'd had to hit all the, the moles down and set up. And when you hit them down, it actually sent some garbage code up to their pod, crashed a, crashed a pod. And then it would let you know when it was back online, the pod would pop back up, the bowl would pop back up. So you'd have to get them all down. Uh, and you'd win a prize, right? But the idea is you can't because it's about how quickly they revision, they spin back up on their own. Right. So it was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty cool. Uh, but th- that's the Google's work is is really neat because it's always a challenge of how do you how do you communicate that story in a technical way that appeals to two very different audiences? You know, um, and there's a lot of work like that but that we've done. Not only that, when you're Google, it needs to be yeah, again, something that no one's ever seen. You know, like, I guess you know. How does that creative process work, right? Do you guys just like cruise up and down Big Beaver and you know try to get some uh, some ideas? I mean, the creative process has got to be in, insane. I had to throw the Big Beaver because we were talking about uh, Troy, <laughs> the, the sixty nine exit sixty nine. Um, but you know, I guess what is what does that process look like? Is it one of those like kind of like hey, write a hit song and lock yourself in a room with a bunch of people for for a week and see what comes out, or what, what's usually- that look like? It's like one or two creative sessions, depending on uh, if whether we're working direct or through an agency, they might have the high level creatives. We've got more of the executional creatives and you kind of get together and you just put together a pitch deck. You know, you come up with five to 10 ideas, one sticks, and that's the one that you go with. Um, but uh, that that's a lot of fun. And those custom jobs, I mean, they're, there are, there are a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but they're always, you know, interesting. And like we did Game of Thrones. Actually, that was a pretty cool job too. Remember when... Um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched GOT at all, but like the Hall of Faces uh, year, uh, we uh, we did uh, we made them an app that allowed you to make yourself dead and put you inside their uh, in their Hall of Faces. So it made basically it made a movie trailer of you as the star. So when it, when you went through the Hall of Faces in that animation, we feathered you in, and then it locked in into your image, and then it did the Game of Thrones like you know teaser, and it was kind of, it was really cool because they wanted other people's faces in there too. So it was used throughout the globe. So we had to like to figure out the regions by IP address so that we could kind of have a more diverse audience of dead people in the, in the, you know, the structure of the Coliseum. And then you had the ability, like we were using, I think we were using uh, AWS for this one, but it, you, we had to make sure that there was like a purity filter of some sort to make sure there weren't any Anthony Weiner photos. It was all, you know, looking for eyes and a mouth. So, right. so we didn't have any, it worked pretty good. Like, you know, what we put together, we didn't have any flashing, but we did have a few dogs and cats that made, made it into the Hall of Faces. So, but that was a lot of fun. And we got to work with the HBO Go architects on that one because they have all kinds of standards they have to meet. So that was a, that was a good project too. Yeah, that it reminds me of I'm a I'm a huge pro wrestling nut, and during COVID, instead of having an empty crowd, they put up like five thousand televisions and let you stream onto, you know. And I guess the first week or so, it was a little bit of a uh, little a little bit of stuff got leaked through, and then they caught it, and you know, then they put a little you know put some security behind it. But it, uh, it always made everyone was like weren't watching what's going on on TV. Or they're in the ring, they're looking. For, to try to catch someone doing something illicit on the TV. So anyway, that was fun, <laughs> at least for me. Um, 
But hey, uh, so I guess last thing you guys are, I, I mean, the, the reason why we hooked up was podcasting. And and yes. I see, I think you started your first episode. Have you seen yeah. it yet? It, I, I watched the first five minutes. <laughs> so yeah, I, our idea is we want to break them into smaller chunks to make them more content marketing. Uh, but you know, but th- that podcast feel as yeah, I would, as I was doing our first podcast, it kept going through my mind as you said, "Don't worry about it. Your first one's always going to be hot garbage." That was yeah, the, <laughs> the words of wisdom from from Bob. So. <laughs> That was that was channeling that. So and then being on video was even worse because I look I look very smarmy. I'm like sitting there shaking my foot and twitching. I'm like I look like a meth head, you know. But it is interesting because like you watch yourself, and you're like, okay, I need to not do that again. I need to hold my body a little more still. I need to take a little bit of time and not talk over people. So I, I'm definitely I've now done two. Um, one was on uh, upskilling for our training in the pa- pandemic, and the second was about like the return to live events for with right. one of our with one of our, uh, our live experiential partners. Um, that's who, that's the one I watched. Yeah. Okay. That one, that was slightly better. I mean, Rich Foley, who did the facilitation on that one, that guy's like a PBS nerd. He's got like a decade of doing PBS interviews, um, for, on books. So he, he really is, uh, he helped facilitate that pretty well. I thought, but, uh, I get so that's it. How I, I learned how hard this is. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, this is years and years and years of me being a professional salesperson that actually spoke in front of people and audiences. And, you know, so when it came into this, especially when, when I did it with Dave, you know, we had a banter because we've spoken to each other for 10 years. And so it kind of came out. But when I was at Cisco, we got trained from the person that taught John Chambers how to speak on stage. And the first thing we did is go up, uh, go up on stage or go up in front of the room and talk about yourself for three to five minutes. And then you would sit in a room by yourself and watch you because you would videotape it. And you would have a notepad. It's an ums, ahs, crutch words. And you would notice yourself like jingling your keys or saying um, 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 or your crutch word. Like I had an engineer I worked with at Dell that his crutch word was and et cetera when he didn't know what to say. And and we would count these things. And by the end of the week, we went up again and said, give me a five-minute or three-minute cloud presentation on whatever you're working on right now and there was zero um zero oz because you're you're cognizant now of the the repeated pattern the ums and he's like he taught you how to breathe right like instead of just needing to speak 100 miles an hour which i'm which i do all the time to not get those crutch words and so i've listened to every podcast we've ever done either on a road trip or something just to like if I'm saying this weird thing every, you know, because people will only hear that. That's, it's a, you know, it's a huge part of this thing. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I appreciate your, your words of wisdom. So yeah, our podcast is called around the alley. So, um, but yeah, it's, we're getting started at it. We, uh, you know, we got the, the whisper room, which is, you know, fairly legitimate, but <laughs> we're still working right. on our technique for sure. <laughs> it's all good. No, I'll, uh, I'd lo- I, you know, I'd love to work with you on it. If you have a, uh, if you want me back in the bowling, I'd love to go back. Uh, I would love to have you in uh, and just you get you riffing in that in the podcast booth with us. I think that'd be Perfect. great. I'm in. I'm in. So we will uh, we'll cut you loose. I can't thank you enough for the time you spent with us tonight. Uh, episode 404 podcast not found. I don't know if we're going to call it that. I think we have to. Um, <laughs> Scott Weemels, you can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him at 24G.com. I highly recommend watching that Walmart video. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but I can't thank you enough for your time, uh, Scott, 24G, and uh, appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Randy. You guys have a great night. 
Absolutely. We're going to wrap things up for episode 404. Podcast not found on behalf of Bob and Randy. Do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.